You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? Look, I know what you want to talk about. I know that you're really excited because you want to sit here and you want to ask about the hat trick I scored in a hockey game last week. But look, I don't want to make a big deal about it, Chad. All I ask is just to be treated like any other regular, normal, mortal person. Just another nobody like you. Could you just, for the sake of this podcast, just pretend like that's the case for at least an hour? Uh, was this, did this hat trick Jeez. go? Fine. All right. You want to know about it? Yes. I scored a hat trick in a hockey game. Did it go down in the uh, intermediate league or the novice league? That would be the novice league. Because you're one of these sandbagging motherfuckers that uh, drops back down to the novice league now, no. right? To like, I am one of these motherfuckers challenging himself in the intermediate league where everybody is way better than I am. I'm still only in my second year of hockey. Still... Very much a novice. But yes, there is since some... you asked, I did score a hat trick against the worst team in the worst league. And I, yeah, is it a big deal? Sure. Sure, it's a big deal. Are you visibly impressed? Of course you are. Why wouldn't you be? But let's just, let's acknowledge this tremendous athletic feat and then move on. After a period of applause. Given the revelations of today, I'm just saying that there is at least some evidence to suggest that you are, in fact, sandbagging. What you're saying is that I seem to be advancing at a frighteningly quick rate. Some evidence of sandbagging, I think, is what we're going to go with on the website. You know what your problem is? You're always so fucking negative. That's what your problem is. How are we doing in the Intermediate League? How many hat tricks up there? I, I scored my first goal in the Intermediate League. Woo, Although man. most of it was just standing in front of the net waiting for one of the many really good players on my team to make a really sweet pass, and I just knocked it in. That's Those are both great stories. Thank you for relating those to us just to get the podcast started at a sprint. Yeah. Ben, we're about 10 days away from the sports entertainment event of the season here in Missoula, Montana, and that is the debut of Defy Professional Wrestling at the Mask Studios here in Missoula, Montana, Friday, May the 4th. It's coming right up. I I don't know if I've ever been so excited for an event. Now, there's good news and there's bad news about this event, Ben. The bad news is that the VIP tickets are sold out. The good news is that there's still general admission tickets left, at least for now, and the very good news is that I'm about to give you co-main event podcast listeners a promo code that you can use to go to the ticket website right now, buy those tickets at a savings to yourself. What's the savings? The code is C-M-E-P-O-D. That's co-main event pod, C-M-E-P-O-D. You can go to... Uh, is that all one word or two words? That's, that's all one word. I believe they had it in all caps. You can go to defywrestling.com and click the tickets link and find the uh, Missoula show. Enter that promo code. Save yourself some money. So all you have to do is first figure out a way to get to Missoula, Montana. That's right. By and Friday, if, May 4th. And if you do it, Ben Folks will buy you a beer. That's right. We've been I talking will, about that for weeks. I will buy you as many as one beers, one domestic beer. Um, but get a few bucks knocked off your ticket once you get here. Yay. 
You also have about six days left to buy Dondaso shirts before they vanish into the ether forever. Get never, out of to, here. never to be seen or heard from again. Get out of your chair and leave your own house. That's over at CottonBureau.com. CottonBureau slash products slash Dundasso. If you don't get them, I mean, this is your last chance. After this, you're just going to be out of luck. Well, Chad, you want to take a guess what the uh, CME Patreon is sitting at right now? Uh, 900. 738. That's still very good. But I appreciate your lofty goals. Well, I had always been undercutting it up to this point, so I figured I would just go way over. A lot of people enjoyed uh, part two of The Old Man and the Sea last week. Very good. Now we need to think about our next streaming event. Yeah, no, we do. We do need to think about another streaming event. All I'm saying is that Fedor Emelianenko is about to get his fight on. Over at Bellator. That's right. This weekend. We'll talk about that later in the show. I'm just saying maybe there's there's a streaming event there that we need to think about. Like a Fedor-centric streaming event? Look, there's going to be a lot of feelings one way or another after does, Fedor and Frank Mir do the damn thing. Does the FightPass.com have Bodog on it? I don't know. Could we watch the uh, Fedor versus Matt Lindland fight? I'm sure there's a way we could probably find that fight one way or another. Well, maybe we should take suggestions also from the, uh, from the Patreon supporters out there exactly what they would like us to stream for our next uh, Patreons-only streaming event. That's not a bad idea. We got music again this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the podcast, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. We got three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, is it really Khabib time for Kevin Lee? I mean, probably not, but stranger things have happened. And in round number two... Frankie Edgar let us all know what was up against Cub Swanson, like an old man strolling out onto his porch to glare at a group of skateboarding teenagers and then nod quietly to himself and mumble, that's what I thought, when they skateboard away. And in round number three, Bellator 198 goes off unopposed this weekend. So can Frank Mir and Fedor Emelianenko bring the promotion's ratings out of the doghouse? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me just saying stuff, and we're going to have Sir Nigel Longstock drop by for a, uh, another rendition of Master Tweet Theater. Uh, but right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Lewis Dunk. Oh, yeah. Lewis Dunk. You want to guess uh, what Lewis Dunk's sport of choice is? Sounds like a hockey player. Lewis Dunk, you'll be surprised to learn, uh, is an English professional football player. Okay, well, that would have been too easy as a guess. He writes, Lewis Dunk. Do you want to even guess which Premier League club he plays for? Crystal Palace. Brighton and Hove Albion. That was going to be my second According choice. According to Wikipedia. Which, be my second can, guess. Can that possibly be real? What kind of Harry Potter shit is that? He writes, my question to you guys this week is concerning the UFC broadcast team. While I never tire of John Anik and his fat, fantastic play-by-play, do you think it's time for them to confine him to doing pay-per-view cards only on Big F- and Big Fox, a la Mike Goldberg? Uh, Brennan Fitzpatrick called play-by-play on, the, on this last weekend's card, and I thought he did a phenomenal job and deserves to be on the team for all these fight night cards, maybe along somebody like Jimmy Smith. Please discourse if you would. Okay, um... I don't know if I would go so far as to say phenomenal job. Here's what I'll say about Brendan Fitzpatrick. I didn't notice him. Right. Until they did like one of those kind of stand-ups next to the cage. Or like Paul Felder and Brendan Fitzpatrick. And I was like, wait, who's Brendan Fitzpatrick? But I, I, I'm trying to present this as a positive. Because if I didn't notice you, like when I, was, when I was just listening to the sound of your voice, I wasn't like, who is this asshole? And why is he ruining this? Then you must have been doing an okay job. 
Yeah. No, you and I are in agreement about what we want from a play-by-play announcer, and that is uh, for them to rarely make their presence known. Uh, I feel like, just like you said, it's almost like being an MMA referee, kind of like the biggest compliment to you is that we didn't we didn't know you were there. Right. Like, you didn't do anything that made us go, oh, this this guy. Yeah, I need to find out what this guy's name is. Uh, I mean, as far as combining John Anik to pay-per-views and, and big events, if that's a good thing for his work rate to keep him from getting burned out with the UFC's busy schedule all over the place, then sure, I'm all for it. But I'm also all for as much Anik as we can reasonably get, since I think that he does the best job of anybody in the, the play-by-play sector of MMA. Um, I also would like to see the the old British broadcast team used for some of I mean, maybe it would just freak people out to hear two British guys discussing fights on TV uh, like an, if an event is not happening in their locale. I don't understand why they – we only turn to them when we happen to be overseas somewhere, right? Like they, they, they never get a chance to even be considered for any of the real stuff. Uh, good. These are good problems to have if you're the UFC, right? Sure. You, you have like a, at this point uh, just a, a gaggle of comp- competent broadcasters that you can throw out, which is good since you do approximately 900 shows a year now. So you got to have a lot of uh, competent broadcasters that you can throw out uh, on any given weekend over there in Atlantic City to call whatever card you have going on. Ben, do you – here's the thing. I will support this Lewis Dunk idea be- for one reason only, and it's not – you're a big fan of Hove, Albion, and Branch or whatever? It's, it's, it's not necessarily that I, that I want to hear less from John Anik because, like you, I will take as much of John Anik as I can get. But – do you think that it helps bring like a big card feel to pay-per-view and or, uh, you know, network television shows if there is a guy who is basically like the Hulk Hogan of UFC broadcasters who only shows up for the big event? And in this example, that guy would be John Anik, who is the physical opposite of Hulk Hogan, but works <laughs> in this example all the same. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And there's a an argument to be made for that. I guess I would rather see it be a team that gets brought out and not just like one guy and then we might pair him with one to two other people and that cast keeps rotating. It would be nice if they were like, here is the broadcast team for big events. If it's like John Anik, Joe Rogan, and Jimmy Smith, whatever. Um, But yeah, I I do think there is something to be said for that, like creating an aura of like, oh, hey, it must be special. It's like when Bruce Buffer goes from just kind of regular silly tucks to like – you know, the dude who made it was clearly on LSD, silly tux. And you're like, okay, this must be a special one. Bruce Buffer is out here on some magic eye bullshit. Like, this must be a big event. I, I could see the argument for doing the same with the commentary. Next question this week comes to us from Bill Biggs. He writes, so Dan Hooker, huh? Dude knocks out the old gunslinger himself, James Aloysius Miller, in front of a Jersey crowd. And then in a decidedly un-Covington-like fashion, he goes on to call for a round of applause for the old salt. The knockout itself was enough to impress me, but he's not done there. He stands across from the Irish dragon himself, looks him in the eye, and calls his ass out like a fucking gentleman. Could he be one of our guys? First of all, I had to look this up because as much as I would love it if Jim Miller's name was actually James Aloysius Miller, Wikipedia would have me believe that it's actually James Andrew Miller. Yeah, there's no way that uh, the Miller family is rolling Aloysius as the middle <laughs> but name, just did, given from what I know of them. But if they did, I would fully support that move. Uh, also, yes, completely agree here. That was an awesome moment. And a good example that like 
I think sometimes when people are saying, hey, you know, you need to have a name ready, you need to be ready to call somebody out, something like that, and people think that we're asking for some over-the-top WWE theatrics and fake a, a grudge match and try to work up some phony rivalry just to get people interested, this is good proof that that's not necessarily what we want because this was one of the most interesting moments of the night where he stands there like a fucking gentleman and just tells Paul Felder right to his face that he would like to fight him next. And it's great. Like, I'm suddenly very interested in that. Uh, it's a straight-up baller move to call out the guy who's interviewing you, right? Because, like, you know, even though Paul Felder is obviously the consummate professional, you're not going to rattle Paul Felder out there. Do you think Paul Felder came in the cage with the knowledge or the sus uh, the, the like the suspicion that Dan Hooker was about to call him out? I would say no. No. So, like, for Dan Hooker... Sweet move, man. But he did say, I liked Paul Felder's response, too, where he said, I've been waiting for someone to have the guts to stand here and look me in the eye and say that they want to fight me. Like, it makes you feel like both guys come out of that looking pretty awesome. You put that fight together, it already has a, a big head start on the promotion. Yeah, so, like, kind of a banner night for Dan Hooker, who, after moving up to lightweight, and still a giant lightweight. Yeah. When you see him out there, uh, knocks out Jim Miller in the first round with a knee, and uh, then uh, calls out Paul Felder on the mic. What did you think of the uh, punch? The punch after Jim Miller was down there? Yeah, a little. I mean, I, I understand what's happening. Like, obviously, you got to keep fighting until the ref pulls you off. Especially if it's Jim Miller. You have every Jim reason Miller to believe. Jim just straight up reanimate. Yeah, that he's just going to sit up like a zombie and come after you. It just looked a little unnecessary to me, to my eye. I mean, I'm not. it's not Dan Hooker's fault. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. But, like, that's one of those instances in the in MMA where you're just like, Whoa. You know, though, I remember... Shit can happen. Yeah, shit can happen. I remember sitting with uh, Brendan Shaw when I was working on that series in the, the Grudge Gym, and we, after he fought Mirko Krokop in New Jersey, we sat down and we watched the fight, and he kind of like did his own live commentary for me about what he's thinking, what he remembers. And he had a similar moment where he drops Krokop, and that, that one I think Krokop kind of starts to sit up. And then he comes in there and delivers one more that you could argue was unnecessary and just blasted Krokop right in the head. And he was afterwards, he was like, you know, I kind of feel bad for that one, but that one's on Herb Dean. Because I'm not about to stand there and wait to find out whether Mirko Krokop is going to get up and continue trying to kick my ass. Because I'm already, there's a part of me already scared of Mirko Krokop. Like, you have... Freddy Krueger down, you're going to go ahead and try to chop his damn head off. You're not going to take the chance that he's going to get back up. So the referee, that's his role, is to get in there and to stop that extra punch from happening. And if he doesn't do it, then that's who you should blame. And I, I think that applies here. I also think, though, it didn't exactly help things because the overwhelming mood in the room after this fight was just, like, eerie quiet. You know, Dan Hooker, afterwards, he, he knocks him out and he goes and he stands in his corner and just kind of like waits there and nobody's saying anything and it's just like really quiet in the arena. The the Paul Felder thing helped kind of bring it back to life a little bit, but it was like that moment where you realize, yeah, no one is going to feel super good for you in Atlantic City going out there and, and doing Jim Miller like that. Next question this week comes to us from Daryl Harsh. Okay. That's got to be somebody, right? Yeah, sure. He writes, I'm at UFCAC. And there, Atlantic, UFC, City. Atlantic City. And there have been multiple fights in the stands. Why? We pay to see professionals fight, not a couple of drunks in the stands. Have you ever seen a football game break out in the stands of an NFL game? Please discuss. No, but I have seen multiple fights break out in the stands of an NFL game. 
Uh, we got we got several emails this week from people who attended UFC Fight Night 128. Yeah. This one sounds like uh, it's coming mid yeah. fight card. Sounds like he he uh, emailed us from his phone while he was still there. Could which not is, wait to get home. Uh, which I commend him on that. By the way, we need more on the scene reports uh, coming into the co-main event podcast email. Uh, it always struck me the number of fights at UFC events, and it has been a while since I attended one as a fan. Obviously, but like when I first started going to UFC events uh, back in the early to mid two thousands. Uh, there was a fight at every damn one. You'd see a fight every time you were at a UFC event, and usually it was like at the worst possible time, i.e. like the end of the night when everybody is trying to walk out through the cramped corridors of whatever arena you're at, and two dudes decide that they need to throw down, and then you got to stand there for 15 minutes until it gets sorted out. Uh, I mean, I think that the reasons that it happens are are like kind of self-explanatory, I guess. Guys who fancy themselves to be tough guys go and watch the professionals fight or they get the testosterone thrown maybe they have a couple one two three four soda pops and the next thing you know uh someone's stuffing toilet paper up their nose in the bathroom to stop the nosebleed <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's kind of weird and uh I, I don't know exactly what can be done about it except tighter security well but Lest we, I think, go too heavily to try and link the outside-the-cage behavior to the inside-the-cage behavior, I, there's a whole subset of videos and stuff on like sites like Deadspin of people fighting at NFL games. It's not like it's just people just trying to replicate the thing they are there to see in their own lives. It's more big group of crowd of people uh, doing a lot of drinking, maybe having clashing opinions about what is going on. Plus, maybe if you're at a UFC event and the damn thing takes seven hours, you have a chance to get a lot more drunk and belligerent. That's true. That's true. NFL game, you got to show up beforehand to drink in order just to, to really hit your zone, you know? Next question this week comes to us from Peter McLean. He writes, I'm relatively new to this game. UFC 194 was my first live event I've ever watched. Hey, welcome. Although that quickly changed and I would now consider myself a shit-eating wild man. And in the run-up to Lee versus Barbosa, I saw a lot of people questioning the decision to make this main this the main event, which confused me because I would consider that an absolutely solid main event. So my question is this, are the us new UFC fans being sold a watered-down version of fight cards that those uh, put on in the old days of yonder and just think that this is normal through a lack of experience? Or, or are you oldies out of touch with what the fans of today consider the top stars in the promotion these days? Now, I would say... This is a this, really good question. It is a good question, and I would answer it in two parts. Okay. The first part is, I think Kevin Lee versus Edson Barboza is absolutely a worthy, event, a worthy main event for a fight night card. And I don't necessarily know that it is the prime example of a UFC card being watered down. I think people were questioning that it was the main event over Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson. I think that that's the only uh, criticism to be made here. If that is indeed even a valid criticism uh, as to why Kevin Lee versus Edson Barbosa was the main event. I mean, your voice did go up on last week's podcast when you, when you kind of realized that you're like, this is the main event actually. Right. right. Yeah. No, but that, that wasn't a commentary on Kevin Lee versus Edson Barbosa, which is like, you thought Frankie would be the main event. Yeah. It's like, well, I think City. we're, I think we're all conditioned to believe that, that former champion Frankie Edgar, uh, would be the main event on a New Jersey based fight night card. Unless you got him to sign up for it late notice and you couldn't get five rounds out of the guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the reason why, but I'm just trying to clarify. I don't think anyone was saying that Kevin Lee versus Edson Barboza was, like, not a cool main event, because I think it obviously was. Uh, the second part of the question, unfortunately, I would say yes. 
you are absolutely being sold a watered-down product in general as compared to the way things used to be. But honestly, there's there's almost no way to avoid that at this point unless the UFC uh, signs an, a television deal that calls for the company to produce a lot fewer events. And I don't think that that's going to happen. So I think that like what we have now as the you know the the week after week beast of the MMA live event schedule is probably what we're stuck with for the foreseeable future but like you can go back to like the old school kind of spike tv days when the UFC was only producing you know one maybe one uh cable tv event and uh a uh, pay-per-view each month and you can look at some of those cards and many of them are just fucking stacked yeah, well, and this is something somebody was asking me in the my Twitter mailbag last week about, like, what's the ideal number of pay-per-views? And my answer was kind of, it's not just the number of pay-per-views, it's the number of total events. Because the number of pay-per-views, if you go back to, like, 2010, 2011, there were more pay-per-views than there are now. You know, there were years there where they were doing, like, 15 pay-per-views or something, but the difference was they were not doing a whole bunch of events in between those pay-per-views. That's where I think you really start to spread the, the roster thin, because... The UFC still is going to have the same kind of concept of here are the people we think are worth paying for. Here are the, the people who have kind of proven themselves to be worth paying for. Those That's the stuff we're going to want to save for the pay-per-views, the premium content. But as you increase the other shows, they're not going to like feed that out of their relatively small pot of people who they realize are pay-per-view worthy. They're going to feed it out of just by by taking what could be one good fight night event and making it into three mediocre fight night events by just spreading everybody around. So I think that absolutely does happen. And though, I mean, but that doesn't mean that the other part is also not true that like, because like those of us, like I remember we were having this discussion once and I think you seized on UFC 46 by trying to make your point about how stacked pay-per-views used to be. It was like George St. Pierre is on the undercard. You know, George St. Pierre fought Carl Parisian on that one. In a prelim bout that you couldn't even see. Yeah. There was no way to watch it if you weren't like a ticket holder in the venue. You know, in the main, it's like Vitor Belfort, Randy Couture, I'm looking at the card now, BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, Frank Mir, Wes Sims. Uh, you know, you, and even in the, the prelims, Matt Sarah versus Jeff Curran, Josh Thompson versus Hermes Franca. Then part of it makes me realize, like, okay. We do have a different concept because of remembering that era. But then at the same time, it was easy for a guy like Josh Thompson or Hermes Franca to end up feeling like a somebody because there were just fewer somebodies around. Right. So I think that there's a little bit of, of both those things going on. But it is interesting because it's a question I don't really ask myself is how is somebody who got into the sport two or three years ago as a fan, how do they regard this stuff now? And are, do we just sound like weird old men coming down from the mountain with like stone tablets talking about how it used to be? Yeah, probably we do. I mean, I, I assume we sound like old men reading off stone tablets no matter what topic we discuss. But just think about it this way. Like the last month was not even necessarily that busy of a month in the UFC schedule. And we still got like four events, right? If you can, if you go back to March 17th when you had uh, the event over in London that was headlined by Alexander Volkov versus Fabricio Verdum, and you think about, you know, what if the UFC did fewer shows each month? You could easily get yourself into a situation where uh, Verdum versus Volkov and, uh, you know, Nurmagomedov versus Aya Quinta and Rose Namajunas versus Joanna Jacek and, you know, Justin or uh, Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier and then Kevin Lee versus Edson Barboza would all be on the same card. Like right. that would basically be your main card if there was only one event uh, dur during April. And I think, you know, you just start thinking about it that way and you start to realize that those, 
I don't know. I guess it depends on how you think of it. Like for my money, you get one super card like that. It might be worth having, you know, an exchange of not having four events in a month. But if you're the kind of person that like uh, is living and dying by every Saturday night, having, you know, four to six hours of UFC to watch, maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't take that trade off. I don't know. Well, and then there's a question of worth it for us versus worth it for the people who own the UFC. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Last question this week comes to us from Patrick Ryan. He writes, the latest news about the UFC's potential TV deal has me thinking about the state of Fight Pass, especially in regard to the potential subscription to an ESPN streaming service to get their half of the fights uh, and Fox getting the rest. I enjoy my subscription to Fight Pass. It's great for the vast library of fights and the access to Invicta cards, regional shows, etc. But I can't help but feel the UFC has already uh, reneged a little bit on the promised value when it comes to the caliber and frequency of exclusive UFC Fight Pass events. Now you're telling me that there's a potential... Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, of shelling out five bucks a month to watch ESPN Fight Night cards, are there even going to be any Fight Pass exclusive cards at all? At all in that reality, dudes. I'm just saying that if any of that even remotely matches up with their final TV deal, they better knock a cool five spot off my Fight Pass subscription price, or maybe I just, or may, or I may just have to resort to alternative methods of streaming. I'm just saying. Oh wow. So Ben, this is like you know we talked about the rumored new UFC deal. A week or two ago, uh, now we had a more uh, reputable seeming report out this week uh, about a possible next TV deal that basically said that Fox would keep uh, most of the UFC televised events and that the new ESPN Plus streaming service would also pick up some uh, UFC events. And it seems more reasonable. I mean, when I'm gonna say, when I say reasonable, that it seems more reasonable. That it seems like uh, like a more it seems more like something the UFC would do. Fewer right? radical changes. Right. Fewer radical changes. And uh, they're not saving fans any money. They're not, you know, cutting back on the number of events. Uh, and I've seen a lot of really, really uh, mixed response to the possibility of doing this. And I think that it's not all that unexpected at this point that MMA fans might at this point throw up their hands and say, like, another streaming service. Are you are you serious? Well, what would be the upside for fans in this? Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't I have really to keep think of cable one. so right. that I can keep watching Fox Sports. Right. But then I have to subscribe to another streaming service. Now, if you tell me, and this is a like I think kind of the question about that is what what's to become a fight pass if that happens? Because if you tell me, hey, we're coming up with another streaming service we want you to buy in addition to the UFC Fight Pass one, then my question is like, well, what's on it that is going to be so special for me? Right. I mean, See, that's the thing that I think like. Uh, if you move stuff over to this ESPN Plus service, you better have content on ESPN Plus that basically I cannot – it better be an offer that I can't fucking refuse, right? <laughs> Otherwise, frankly, I think a lot of people are going to refuse it. I don't think people are going to sign up for another streaming service if they're getting – if that's where the Fight Pass cards go, basically. Yeah, well – and the – like the – point about, hey, has Fight Pass already kind of reneged on its initial offer? And as you'll recall, the initial pitch of Fight Pass was Netflix for fight fans. And as far as the availability of the library and then other non-UFC fight content, it's still got that. But then it does seem to have backed way off the promise, like, hey, there will be regular live events that are only available on Fight Pass. You just, you're not really seeing that that much anymore. And so if you move over to ESPN, like, do you start to treat ESPN as just like another fight pass? Is it just a thing where I'm supposed to pay five bucks a month streaming for this and 
maybe not every month there will be a UFC on there. Maybe maybe there'll be one sometimes and not other times. Uh, will they be fight pass caliber events or will they be like something where you're actually trying really hard because it's ESPN, even if it's ESPN streaming? Like Those are the kind of questions I would need to see sorted out. But I do think you risk just a general fatigue, not even necessarily like monetarily, but just psychologically for people. If you're like, okay, so you want to be a, a UFC fan and follow all our stuff. Here is the array of like subscriptions and uh, various like packages you need to have in order to follow all our stuff. Right. And it's dangerous for the USC to get into the mindset, which it has at times to say like, Hey, maybe we don't expect you to follow it all. Follow the stuff you want to follow, follow the big fights, whatever. Because that just doesn't really work when you're the UFC and you're trying to build up the people that we're supposed to care about tomorrow on the shows of today. You just get people who kind of drift away from the sport. And I think you've already seen it as a result of oversaturation. And they don't really come back. They might come back for a Conor McGregor fight if you can pull those together you know, once a year. But they don't come back you know, just to watch your mid-level, still solid, but not absolutely spectacular pay-per-views. And you end up hurting the brand. You're kind of hurting just like the, the overall fandom of the sport in general. Yeah, man, I really have a hard time believing. Maybe I'm just underestimating the shit-eating wild people out there. But like, I just have a real hard time believing that UFC fans are going to jump at the chance to sign up for another streaming service if all that you're getting is like the Verdum versus Volkov quality cards. Like, I would think you need to have something real, real attractive over there uh, to get people to to go through the rigmarole of shelling out another uh, five bucks a month and and signing up for a whole different streaming service. Like, uh, you know, it it better be fight cards that that they frankly can't pass up. Like I said, and that doesn't make any sense, right? Like it wouldn't make sense for the UFC to put, you know, Nate Diaz or whatever, uh, on ESPN plus. It just wouldn't make sense. Right. Plus with fight pass, at least you can make the pitch to people. Hey, there are live fights. Sometimes you can see like grappling events, kickboxing events, other non UFC events, and the big appeal. Anytime you want to, you get it in your head where you think like, Oh yeah. Hey, this was an awesome fight. I want to watch Nick Diaz and Takanori Gomi. Boom, you can do it right now. If ESPN Plus is not going to have that, like what else is it going to have? Like the other content that ESPN does not see as suitable for the, the ES, one of the many ESPN actual TV networks? Is it going to be the UFC and like men's college lacrosse? Because like you've got to have something else to bolster that promise if you expect people to, to jump in there for it. And if they don't jump in there, then you're just walling off a lot of your content from people who would otherwise potentially be your fans. Coming up after the Alabama spring game, tune in for UFC fight night, two seventy five okay, live no, from the spring game. Definitely. That's on that's TV. Come on. Yeah, that's actually probably is on television at this point. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's listener mail. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do that. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And the good news is, if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
So Ben, Kevin Lee basically did the damn thing, at least inside the cage in the main event of Fight Night 128, eventually pounding Edson Barbosa into a TKO uh, doctor stoppage between, uh, or midway through the fifth round, I'm sorry, uh, and then when it's all over, jumps on the mic, basically says he's the future of the lightweight division, it's Habib time, baby, uh, let's go, let's go. I guess my opening question for you this week on the podcast is, how do you consider Kevin Lee at this point, coming off the loss to Tony Ferguson and now having advanced his overall record to 17-3 and and 6-1 and in his last seven fights? Did this brutalization, basically, of Edson Barbosa reignite a fire for you in terms of excitement about Kevin Lee uh, and his, uh, his potential in the 155-pound division? You know what it did? It reminded me that Kevin Lee is 25 years old, which somehow I had lost sight of. I guess maybe when he goes into that fight with Tony Ferguson at UFC 216, and it's clear, like, okay, winner here uh, is going to be at least an interim champion until that belt decides to go away uh, when the UFC wants it to. Seems like a big fight. Seems like a, a big kind of let's find out who matters and who doesn't quite matter in the lightweight division. He loses that fight. Granted, goes into it with a huge staff, like a visible staff infection on his chest, which yep. could not have helped his chances any. He loses that fight, and I think because of the just fierce competition in the lightweight division, people might have been a little too quick to say, okay, well, we sorted out you know, contenders from pretenders, basically, and he didn't make the cut. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, in this super competitive division, the rest of the guys who are really killing it right now are, you know, late 20s, early 30s, kind of Kevin Lee still pretty new to the game. And maybe we just, we have not seen the peak yet. You know, obviously a good performance against Edson Barboza. He gets rocked and, and comes back almost immediately, is is stanky legging it one minute, and then is getting a takedown like 30, 45 seconds later. Stuff like that, you see it and you think, all right, like maybe this guy... Uh, is going to just continue to improve as the years go by, and pretty soon he he could actually be the guy. So, yeah, it did prompt me to do a little bit of, of reevaluation there. i got to say that. Yeah, the, one of the things that I thought was cool about this fight was the sort of uh, momentum swings, I guess you could say. I don't know if you want to consider that one spinning kick from Barbosa like a, a momentum swing, but early on it looked like we might get a stoppage from Kevin Lee in the first round when he – uh, he takes pretty much takes Edson Barboza right down, gets him mounted against the cage. He's raining down punches and elbows. It was starting to look ugly for Edson Barboza. Uh, and it looked like it might be a short night for Kevin Lee. And then uh, a few minutes later, we get the spinning kick that it seemed like it was going to maybe turn the tide for Edson Barboza. And then you're right, a, a testament to Kevin Lee, I think, that he was able to very quickly regroup, get another takedown that he needed to kind of clear the cobwebs from his head and then go ahead and, and have a Kevin Lee fight for the, for the duration there until the, the doctor stoppage in the final round. Uh, Let's be honest though. It's not Khabib time. It is probably not Khabib time. And I mean, the I know that we say this all the time about the shark tank that is the 155 pound division, just because it's so damn competitive, but you do have like an embarrass, an embarrassment of riches right now in and around the title picture where you got the belt on Habib Nurmagomedov, uh, you know, for better or worse in terms of how you view the, him being the champion. We're all still kind of sitting around waiting to see if Conor McGregor will ever return to the, the sport or whether or not he's just going to keep flying around on private gents, Instagram and pictures of his watch. Uh, you know, you got Tony Ferguson, you got Eddie Alvarez, you got Dustin Poirier, uh, and now you got Kevin Lee and all those guys are kind of in a group right around, 
number one contender status. So like, it's probably not Khabib time for Kevin Lee, but that's also really only speaks to the, uh, the strength of the lightweight division. Who, for, for whom are you saying it's Khabib time? Are we just assuming that we're going to do the Conor McGregor thing and that everybody else is treading water until then and just trying to be in a good position to say, pick me, pick me once the dust clears after that? For a while, yeah. Like, that's got to be plan A if you're a UFC matchmaker, right? But you can only wait for Conor McGregor for so long before you gotta, you gotta do something else. Like, uh, Especially now that the the uh, hand truck throwing incident is out there, that we we still haven't had it, you know, any sort of uh, punishment meted out by the UFC in that regard. I don't well, know. I don't know what we will eventually know, if if anything, or if we will get a like a largely ceremonial suspension or a fine or whatever it is. Don't you think the longer more time goes by, the greater the chance that we will do fucking nothing? Right. Yeah. It do, it does seem like a weird move if the UFC waited a couple months and then we're like, oh yeah. We decided to uh, hand down this suspension, although it would also be a fairly UFC move, depending on how the negotiations with Conor McGregor are going. You know what a real UFC move would be? To wait a couple months, um, then announce like a retroactive suspension to be like, by the way, he's been suspended for the last 60 days. We, d- You guys didn't know, but uh, we feel like he's learned his lesson now. Remember when he posted that Instagram pic of like the fresh fruit uh, plate on his private jet? He was actually suspended. During that. So, like, he's serving a hard time yeah. over there. Um, well, if you, if it's not Khabib time for Kevin Ferguson, or I mean, sorry, Kevin Lee, Kevin Ferguson, obviously, Kimbo Slice. That's right. The late, great Kimbo Slice. Uh, if it's not Khabib time for Kevin Lee, what time is it? See, that's what I was getting at, is I think that if you were one of these other guys in the division, and you're, you know, you're not Conor McGregor or Khabib, or, you know, even at the, the, Closer to that, you know, that old Tony Ferguson, Eddie Alvarez kind of thing. If you're a guy like Kevin Lee right now, isn't the the smart move to start to try to pick on one of those other guys? Because you're not going to want to wait around for as long as it would take. If, and if everybody is saying Khabib time, then for nobody is it really Khabib time. You're all just kind of getting in each other's way. Like, wouldn't it be a higher percentage play if you're Kevin Lee to be like, you know what? Give me Dustin Poirier and... Uh, Put yourself in a better position for when it is potentially, you know, a cha- like a whether it's Khabib or Conor McGregor or whoever would end up being the champ. You've knocked off somebody else that could have been in that conversation, and meanwhile kept fighting and kept making some money and kept, you know, being a capital G guy while everybody else is, as Eddie Alvarez put it, praying hurt or in jail. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, Eddie Alvarez or, or Poirier would make the most sense if you're Kevin Lee to, to sort of set your sights on. Obviously, since. Uh, I don't totally know the uh, the status of of Tony Ferguson's injured knee. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's it's got a bunch of damn staples in it. Well, there you go. I think that that's probably what you want to do, right? Is is try to pick off one of those two guys, or at least get yourself into a high profile fight with one of those two guys uh, that can help you continue to build your resume. If you are Kevin Lee, uh, I feel like we're kind of going through a cultural shift in perspective right now about weight cutting in this sport and and you know how much weight we want people to be cutting and and basically what our opinion of of weight cutting is so like i don't know that the criticism of people who miss weight is really as uh pointed as it once was but what do you make of kevin lee missing weight in this fight in addition to that and i saw this uh on twitter over the weekend, what do you make of fighters missing weight in the UFC now being 5 and 0 in 2018? Right. Now that that was the point I thought was most interesting because and you know, gives you a hint that maybe the Dundasso 
has a role outside the cage as well. Because you, like you said, you know, you you miss weight, the pressure is going to be on the other person to accept a fight anyway. Uh, we've seen how it goes when somebody resists that at all; uh, they get catch a whole lot of shit for it. So he comes in there at 157 pounds, and hey, of course, if you're Edson Barboza, you got to say yes, keep the main event together, and then you go out there, and especially a guy who his strategy is going to be to pick you up, take you down, and elbow you in the head. You can't exactly say that those extra couple pounds or not having to shed the extra couple pounds didn't help him out a little bit. But it's also a question then that he ends up inadvertently posing to the UFC. He's standing there saying, you know, it's Habib time. And they're going, you didn't even make 156. How are we supposed to put you in a fight where you have to make 155 or else you screw up everything? Like that should be a real concern if you're one of those guys and you're trying to make your case for a title shot because of course they're going to look at it and be like, could this guy make the weight reliably for a title shot? And if he doesn't, he fucks up everything. Right. All right. Well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week, Ben, before we move on to round number two. And I know that we've got a uh, a piggyback situation for our two Are You Fucking Kidding Me's this week. And uh, I will start, since it concerns a little bit, just weight cutting in general. And that is uh, Leslie Smith this week was scheduled to have a fight against Aspen Ladd at Fight Night 128. Aspen Ladd misses weight. At 137.8 pounds, so 1.8 pounds over the non-title fight upper limit of 136 pounds in the women's bantamweight division. Uh, and the UFC responds to that basically by buying out the last, the entire last fight on Leslie Smith's contract, paying her, her show money and her win bonus, and then basically, at least according to her, telling her that they were not interested in bringing her back. So essentially, laying her off. Buying out her contract and then and then laying her off from the organization. As we know, Leslie Smith has been the most visible, most vocal fighter, uh, quarterbacking Project Spearhead. The effort is to try to unionize uh, UFC fighters. So it's a very uh, bad look, I guess I will just say, from a public relations standpoint for the UFC to just come out and do something that I don't remember them ever doing before. Buying out the end of someone's contract and then just telling them that they're not interested in bringing them back. So, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? They tried to do it with Mark Hunt when they bought Pride. And Mark Hunt insisted on having the fights, and then they gave him the fights. The difference was, Mark Hunt was losing a whole bunch in Pride, and so they just didn't think he'd be very good or that he could even make the heavyweight limit. Leslie Smith riding a two-fight winning streak. And by the way, a special... Uh, like subset, are you fucking kidding me? To the people who want to accuse Leslie Smith of just trying to avoid this fight with Aspen Ladd. You fucking kidding me? Leslie Smith fought fucking Cyborg. Went up to 140 to fight Cyborg. I don't think she's really that scared in a, like a visceral fear kind of sense of Aspen Ladd. Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking But also, my main are you fucking kidding me? Right around the same time we hear that the UFC does not want to be in business with Leslie Smith and is willing to just pay her to go away, which, by the way, now we know what it takes to get your show and win money when your bout gets canceled. The UFC just has to want to be rid of you. We also hear a report that the UFC is planning to have former NFL player, controversial former NFL player Greg Hardy make his pro debut at Dana White's Contender Series. You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's, so what we're saying is now... You, you can't be in the NFL anymore because they've decided you're not worth it because of not only the whole domestic violence stuff, but also just the completely unrepentant response to the domestic violence stuff to the point where he was mocking the situation. Uh, remember when the report was out saying like he had taken his ex-girlfriend and thrown her on like a couch full of guns and then made a comment in the locker room to reporters about how he planned to come out guns blazing in the next NFL game. 
that was kind of the point when the NFL, Dallas Cowboys even, started to decide that, you know, maybe this guy is not worth it. But the UFC sees him and thinks, come to Papa. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Just a couple weeks after Dana White, if you'll remember, sat up on the podium after Conor McGregor threw a hand truck through the window of the bus and Dana White had had about 24 hours to get over his intense rage uh, over the situation, sat up on the podium and said, well, worse things happen in other professional sports, so I'll take a hand truck through a bus window any day. Then you can imagine, immediately goes backstage and gets on his phone and says, oh, Greg Hardy? Yeah, sign him up. Yeah, can you give me some of those guys who have perpetrated worse things in other sports? Because I would like to sign them too. You fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Chad, Frank James Edgar. Less than two months after getting knocked off his damn feet by Brian Ortega, goes out there for the local fans in Atlantic City, gets himself a unanimous and pretty clear decision victory over Cub Swanson and their rematch, does not seem entirely pleased with his own performance, and yet also seems to feel like he has proven us wrong by being able to go out there and get a win so soon after those laws when a lot of people said that it was a bad idea. Now, it seems like throughout this entire process, Frankie Edgar has not really realized that nobody was talking shit on him. Nobody was hating on Frankie Edgar for wanting to take this fight, and people kind of understood it. People maybe did not feel it was the best medical decision a guy could make so soon after getting TKO'd like that. Uh, yet, clearly, you know, he's kind of using it to fuel his fire, and he goes out there and he gets it done. As Frankie Edgar now right back in the mix, did he just prove us all wrong? Well, it was kind of a best-case scenario for Frankie Edgar for how this fight was going to go against Cub Swanson, Ben, because like you said, he comes back after a pretty short layoff following that KO loss uh, to Brian Ortega. And, and you know, the physical stakes here were pretty high. Obviously, this could have... Uh, the, the possibility existed that some bad stuff could happen here if Frankie Edgar lost another fight by knockout, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly in the court of public opinion, this would have been viewed as a terrible decision for him to take this fight, uh, and it would have only sort of turned up the volume on questions about what Frankie Edgar's future was going to be uh, you know, in fighting and in the featherweight division. So like when a Frankie Edgar fight broke out here, that was kind of like the best case scenario for <laughs> yeah. Frankie Edgar. He was able to go out there uh, and do his thing over 15 minutes, which is pretty short as a Frankie Edgar fight is concerned. Uh, Just warming up. Pretty much for the most part, work over Cub Swanson in the classic Frankie Edgar fight. Remind us that, oh yeah, uh, Frankie Edgar is still pretty goddamn good at 145 pounds. Uh, gets the win, which he sorely needed, and at least in his mind, able to rub, rub some dirt in the eyes of the uh, quote-unquote haters, which let's let's face it, pretty classic uh, athlete stuff to right. overlook the nuance of the actual reasons why anybody is sort of criticizing your decision to take this fight and just kind of use it as personal uh, momentum, just kind of turn it into a me against the world kind of situation and go out there and show all the damn haters what's up. Right? Just kind of ironic coming from Frank Yedger, who I would argue has about as few haters out there as any MMA fighter possibly right. can. Almost like, I've never heard anyone be like, you know who I can't stand? Fucking Frankie Edgar. Like, what? there's nothing to hate about Frankie Edgar. If you even want to call it criticism, right? The people who were 
scratching their heads over him taking this Cub Swanson fight, and we did some of it on on this show. Uh, it came from a place of love and care yeah. for Frankie Edgar. Like Frankie Edgar seems like a good dude. Like. I don't necessarily want to see his brain go through another uh, incident of trauma so soon after getting floored by Brian Ortega. Yeah, and as I think we linked to it in the Breakfast of Champions this week, and there was a uh, new uh, like medical science journal out, kind of about scientists being able to watch the brain's recovery process from uh, like a, an incident of trauma, where there's kind of what they refer to as a cleanup crew that comes around to. Uh, when the lining of the brain is damaged and then a repair crew. And if you get hit again during that process, then the repair crew just doesn't show up. And that that's when you get some real serious damage going on. And so I think that there is like a legitimate concern about some stuff like that. You know when I knew this one was, as you say, a classic Frank Yedger fight? Was it right at the beginning when he came out and like hit Cub Swanson with that double jab thing that he does? Because <laughs> no. that's when I was like, oh, okay, Frankie Edgar fight. It was when I could hear Cub Swanson's corner telling them, telling him, I believe, to throw like a like a front kick or something uh, when he's idle, and then like hearing that, and then watching the fight and being like, but when is he idle? Like, are you supposed to go over there between rounds? he's never standing still ever at any point in the fight. He's always moving around. Like telling me what I should do when Frankie Edgar is idle is like telling me which charities I should support when I become a billionaire. Like it's just probably not that practical, useful advice that I need in that moment. Just the situation is never going to arise. That's the kind of thing where you saw it and you're like, okay, well he's just going to, he's going to keep this up for as long as Cub Swanson can hang in there. And then afterwards, though, he's talking about, like, okay, we got a, a planned fight between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. Does Frankie Edgar just hang around and point out, by the way, hey, you guys remember when I was scheduled to face, face Max Holloway? And then I didn't have to, but I took Brian Ortega anyway. And then I beat Cub Swanson, like, six weeks after that. How about now? Yeah. Is that is that the plan? I mean, I hope so, because you'd like to think that Frankie Edgar gets a break now, right? For a little while, at least, while we go ahead and settle this title business between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. And if you're Frankie Edgar, like, you get this win in a rematch over Cub Swanson, it kind of puts you in a weird position in the featherweight division, uh, if only because you are a per perennial title contender. Uh, you just got beat by Brian Ortega, who is the assumptive number one contender to fight Holloway for the title. You've already fought Jose Aldo twice. And Aldo is still the only guy besides Brian Ortega and Max Holloway ranked above you in this division. You beat Cub Swanson twice. You've already fought Jeremy Stevens. So, like, basically, if you are in the top five at 145 pounds, you done already fought Frankie Edgar. <laughs> yes. And so there's not a lot of great options for Frankie if you're going to stay in this division. You don't want to... You don't want to uh, fight somebody who doesn't, you know, who isn't right up there at your level. You don't want to, you don't want to feud down, right? You only want to feud up yeah, in almost every situation. Yes. So, like, I would think the only thing for Frankie Edgar to do is kind of cool his heels and wait to see what happens between Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, unless he's going to do something crazy by trying to go to 155 or, or down to 135. And none, none of which has been talked about. I'm just saying that that's like... I can't imagine what else he would even do at featherweight besides wait to, to see who wins the championship fight. Yeah, I don't think 36-year-old Frankie Edgar is keen on the idea of finding a way to lose another 10 pounds. Kind of remarkable, don't you think, that they reminded us on the broadcast during this event, which I think we all knew, but I sort of forget, that Frankie Edgar has, is it the most octagon time all time? Yeah, it's like seven hours or yeah. something of total fight time. Just crazy. So much, uh, so much professional fighting that that man has done. Uh, and, and, you know, this is probably a good matchup for him in Cub Swanson against a featherweight who's sort of his own size and has a skill set that, that plays nicely into what Frankie Edgar tries to do. But 
you know, Cub Swanson's still a very, very serious guy in this division. And so, like I said at the top of the show, Frankie Edgar essentially just reminding us who he is by going out there and kind of breezing through a 15-minute fight with Cub Swanson. Well, then you got Cub Swanson's side of things. I don't know if you saw that where he was talking about re-signing with the UFC and how he had considered another option. And then and it wasn't Bellator. He wouldn't say what it was. Uh, but then the UFC came back with an offer that he liked a little more, but their kind of uh, contingency was, you will do this, but we want you to take this Frankie Edgar fight. And he said, hey, sign me up. So maybe is this the this basically like a, a re-entry point for Cub Swanson? Like he goes out there, takes a, another loss against Frankie Edgar, but hey, you got a better contract out of it, and now you get back to what exactly? Yeah, maybe like that, that certainly puts a different spin on it, right? To hear that, to hear that news. Uh, and, but if you're Cub Swanson, you know, like you're still a pretty marketable guy. I would think, you know, Bellator or whoever he was thinking about signing with. Do you would, think it was PFL? Would love to maybe. Trying but, to throw him in there with all those Magomeds? Yeah, you don't want to, I don't want to get thrown in a, in a swimming pool full of Magomeds, yeah. but that's just me. I'm saying out of a Magomed nest. Uh, you know, if lots of people, I, I assume everybody would still want Cub Swanson because he is who he is. And that's, uh, you know, he looks the part. He's going to give you exciting fights. Reasonable guy. Uh, decent on the mic. Not a lot to, not to like about Cub Swanson, despite the fact that uh, he hasn't you know, won the title or, or gotten it done at that, at that championship level yet. Uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. It's been a while since we've checked in with him. Played a little Master Tweet Theater. I think he's got a theme cooked up for us this week. Uh, we can see if he sticks to that, because we're going to play Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. What's that time again? We welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. My spring coat is coming in. I see that. I was thinking you should see a doctor. You're not supposed to have hair there. I assume that what hair has fallen out will be replaced with bushy new growth, sir. I'm sure. Has nothing to do with you imbibing any friskies explode. So I assume you came to us with a theme? I did, sir. The theme is hard times. Okay. Again, Chad, I feel like this one should not be that hard to stick to just by what I've seen from fighters on Twitter. And yet, and yet. I also think that this might be a theme that we've had before. <laughs> well, who could possibly know such a thing? Certainly not me, sir. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Suzanne Davis has an Excel spreadsheet somewhere that documents all this. But aside from that, no one would have ever known if you didn't say something. That spreadsheet is incredible. I have pieced together so much of my life from it. Yeah, if only you could have one of those that just documents everything you do. Children. There should be a field for children. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, so, hard times. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Smart Dish, the dishwasher you can control from the internet or whatever. Unlike the analog dishwashers of the past, Smart Dish allows you to monitor your dishes remotely from your smartphone, maybe even your smartwatch, if that's still a thing. Its Bluetooth-enabled rinse cycle sends push notifications directly to your home, business, or home business. It's all built on wireless technology and probably uses the blockchain or something. Smart Dish, isn't it time you bought another thing? I feel uncomfortable when Sir Nigel's ad reads start to seem more realistic. 
I don't like this world. Yeah, where do I, I was just thinking, where do I get a smart dish? Huh? You're not going to tell me that you're going to have a house without a microwave and you're going to get a smart dish. Man, we, we, you don't make the rules. This is my house. I'll do what I want. I'll put my foot down there. Are the dishes done? You don't know. You're at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> <clears throat> Good point. Tweet the first. Let's remember the theme is hard times. Hard times, yeah. Hard times. Fighters and their associates advising us on what to do when things get tough. Oh, advising us. Okay, I thought it was just going to be pointing out hard times. But no, advice is... That's something altogether different. Mostly advice. Some of it is people lamenting hard times. Okay, see, that's what I was thinking. <clears throat> Tweet the first. Sacrifices don't mean shit. Moderation is key in life. Abstaining from sex or being nice isn't going to stop dirtbags from fucking with you, nor will it win you fights. Iron Mike knocked motherfuckers out while having STDs. Point is, just work hard, stay on course, and enjoy your life wisely. Whoa. There's a lot going on there. Yep. 240 character limit, sirs. I feel like, first of all, that's somebody who definitely has chlamydia and is trying not to feel <laughs> bad about it, right? Um, also, I'm going to guess Platinum Mike Perry. Oh, that's who I was going to guess. <laughs> well, that's well, I mean, as something... soon as you said chlamydia, I <laughs> narrowed the field a little bit. Can we guess? This? I'm going to say Mike Perry also. Okay. <laughs> Both fine guesses. A man likely to skip the testing phase, but wrong. It is Oluwale Bangbose. The Bang Bus. The Bang Bus. Oh, wow. Okay. Indeed. Replying to someone else who is saying that fighting requires hard work and sacrifice. And he's just saying just the hard work. Yes. Yeah, necessary but not sufficient, I think, is Mr. Bangbose's point. Okay. All right. Well, when you put it like that, it seems more reasonable. Indeed. I love saying Bangbose. I don't like what your face does when you do it. It's weird. Ah, I have to stop mid-letter and get the G. And it's a glottal stop, sir. See, you come up to Master Tweet Theater, you think, no way is he going to say glottal stop today. No way will that come up. Every day. And you're wrong. Tweet the second. My last fight, I fought for my fans and the viewers. I don't give a fuck. Y'all want me to win so badly, then you get in the gym and work for it. Fuck y'all. I don't need your love and support. Never had any till now. Hashtag fakers. Hashtag y'all don't know me. Hashtag I'll be back by myself. Okay. Um, it wow. seems like maybe we might have jettisoned the Platinum Mike Perry guesses a little early in this Master Tweet Theater. <laughs> You're saying that feels like a Mike Perry maybe, to you? Maybe. Doesn't it feel like it to you? It feels like it could be a lot of people. Uh, can I Can I hear that one just one more time just because I feel like... It really reaches a crescendo. Indeed, sir. My last fight, I fought for my fans and the viewers. I don't give a fuck. Y'all want me to win so badly, then you get in the gym and work for it. Fuck y'all. I don't need your love and support. Never had any till now. Hashtag fakers. Hashtag y'all don't know me. Hashtag I'll be back by myself. Yeah, okay, I'm going to also say Mike Perry. It is oh! it is Mike Perry further commenting on the upward tending line that has been his 2018. You know what did it for me? Fuck y'all. Mike Perry loves a, a y'all in a tweet, I've noticed. Uh, fuck y'all, pretty on brand for Mike Perry. He's doing really good right now. He's realizing <laughs> how many people in his life he does not need. Yeah, no, that's always a fun face. <clears throat> tweet the third. I need legal help, Twitter friends. Oh, boy. Back in fifth grade, I had a girlfriend, and thinking back, we never actually broke up. Summer vacation came, and we just stopped talking. We didn't officially break up. Is she still my girlfriend, or should I be okay with her being married now? Okay, we got a, we got a joker oh, here. Yeah, jokester. I'm not sure if this qualifies really as hard times. 
Uh, I'm going to say that one is Olivia Albon Mercier. How no, is wait, this? No, how is this hard good, times? Good I'm going to say Joe Benavides. You don't think this man is suffering? Where is your heart, sir? He has this girlfriend who's off somewhere, married to some guy. Matrione. Both fine guesses, both likely to u- lose a girl to aging, and both wrong. It is Bilal Muhammad. Huh. Okay. I think he's a kickboxer. Maybe MMA. Is he? Is he in Bellator? No. He. Yeah. No. He's a. He's a guy. Yeah. Bilal Muhammad. Yeah. Okay. I've. I gotta say, I haven't seen him fight. <laughs> Still, I'm. I am a little more hung up on the hard times aspect, but that's to be expected. Moving on. Extremely hard time. Rock hard, sir. Stop it. Tweet the fourth. These fools pull out more times than I do with my dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all know that. Okay. Uh, That's Conor McGregor, first of all. Hold on. Genius. Remember? (laughs) MMA genius. Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. My favorite response to this one, uh, which was obviously... I hope it was one of those things where you're trying to save something to drafts because you're working on it still, and that accidentally gets sent. My favorite response was from uh, Irish MMA media uh, member uh, Sean Sheehan, who commented that uh, his dad had asked, "Hey, has Connor tweeted anything about the most recent <laughs> like like pullout uh, thing and the most recent guy to pull out with an injury?" And he was like, "Looks at my phone, looks back at dad. Nope, nothing yet." <laughs> We all recognize this tweet, sirs, but it's more of a setup for the tweet that follows. Oh, good. Because I want to point out that this Conor McGregor uh, bon mot, if you will, uh, was released before the Dolly incident. And this tweet also precedes the Dolly incident. Okay. I already slapped and punked both these guys and their teams. Those so... Oh, I'm going to start that one over. By all means. Pardon me. I already slapped and punked both these guys and their teams, though. So that's none of my business. Who's that? That would be Nate Diaz right there. You're you're pretty sure on that. I feel like we got a couple of gimmies here. At the end, after some legitimately hard Master Tweet Theater entries early on. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say Nick Diaz, just for fun. It is Nate Diaz. He has already slapped and punked both those guys and the teams. Well, okay, I guess point set match. Yes, that is literally his business, though. (laughs) I just want to make that clear. It's not none of his business. Hard times? Hard times. Very hard times for the UFC. I would say. Jesus Christ. Once you've got Nate Diaz slapping and punking your guys and their teams. (laughs) Then everything is going according to plan. Indeed. Uh, I guess that does it for Master Tweet Theater. So, Nigel, what you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've been so busy lately that I I thought I would just take a little time for myself and work on a project about a middle-aged actor who has sex with a fat lady. I see. And what's it called? It's called How Sir Nigel Got His Groove Back. And what role do you play? I play Sir Nigel, sir. Groove. That was Master Tree Theater, and that was the regrettable Sir Nigel Longstock. Groove. Well, Ben, the ratings for Bellator 197 are in, and they are not mind-blowing. As uh, Three, four million? What are we thinking? 403,000 viewers. 
Uh, check Thousand, out, okay. Check right. out the card headlined by Michael Chandler versus uh, Brandon Gertz. And uh, that included 242,000 people watching on the Paramount Network and 161,000 watching on CMT. As has been noted by multiple websites at this point, that uh, put Bellator behind uh, Combate Americas, the uh, MMA promotion, I yeah. believe, run by Campbell McLaren. Right? Yeah, the I old, get their uh, emails all the time. Can't seem to make it stop. The old uh, UFC co-founder. Um, the people watching on CMT, that's an accident, right? Just left the television on yeah. after uh, that show where Stone Cold Steve Austin takes people out to the Broken Skull Ranch and makes them run up a hill. I imagine that's on CMT. I don't know that for sure, but it seems like I don't even a, know if that's a real a real show, but it, <laughs> I'm sold on the pitch if that's what it is. Uh, the good news, I guess, if you're Bellator, Ben, is they got Bellator 198 coming up this Saturday night featuring a main event uh, that is Frank Mir against Fedor Emelianenko, of course, as part of the Bellator 2018 Heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of other stuff on this card that's going to bring in ratings, but you would think if you were looking for a pick-me-up, and you are Scott Coker's misfit band of uh, toys over here, running unopposed with no UFC event this weekend. Uh, maybe you pin your hopes on Fedor versus Mir. Is, is, it, is that fair to say? You've got to. You're doing your whole heavyweight Grand Prix tournament. You got the allure of Fedor against a, another former UFC champion in Frank Mir. Even if it's a fight that would have been a whole lot cooler if you'd found a way to do it 10 years ago, here you are now. People will tune in for some some weirdness. I mean, people are already into this heavyweight Grand Prix idea, you know, only semi-ironically. And then when you trot out Frank Mir against Frank uh, Frank Mir in whatever questionable shape against Fedor Emelianenko in whatever questionable shape, we are going to show up to watch exactly what sort of train wreck that becomes. You know, one of my favorite stories, or at least one of my favorite memories of uh, MMA fandom before I became an MMA reporter was when I went down to Vegas with a group of buddies. Uh, back in the day when Frank Mir was the heavyweight champion and we showed up to an in-store uh, event at a Best Buy. Nice. Where Frank Mir was going to be signing autographs and we were the only people there. Whoa. So like Frank Mir basically hung out with us and shot the shit for like 15 minutes. And I remember we asked him about every sort of like high profile pride heavyweight of the day. Uh, so it was like, man, how would you do against Mirko Krokop? And basically Frank Mir's response to every single person we brought up was, oh, I'd kill that guy. In classic Frank Mir fashion, uh, the only the only pride heavyweight that he even had to think about for a second was Big Nog, and I think that that was basically like some jujitsu respect, right? Because <laughs> like you know Frank Mir thinks he's just gonna kill everyone at this point because he's UFC heavyweight champion. Big Nog, he was kind of like, oh yeah, that would that would be a tough fight. That Do you say I think Big Nog will probably wobble me, but then try to get on the ground with me, and then I'll reverse him and break his arm? Yeah, he he called it. Some some ten years out, wow. uh, but you know he was pretty sure he would kill Fedor Emelianenko back in those days. So I guess my I'm just going to circle around to make this relevant to today's discussion somehow. He gets his chance, right? And honestly, I I hate to say it, I like his chance. I don't know who who you pick in this one, but I I honestly I have to pick Frank Mir here. Uh, yeah, Even I guess, not knowing the kind of shape that he's going to come in. Right. I mean, despite the fact that he's two and six in his last eight fights, like he's probably still the pick to take here, right? If he shows up in a semblance of shape, uh, he stands to have a pretty big weight advantage, a pretty big size advantage over Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, and you'd think if he doesn't stand in front of him and get hit with those murder balls, that probably he stands a good chance of maybe a submission victory here. This has got to be a weird feeling for Frank Mir, though, don't you think? Just like, uh, we talked about the octagon time of, of Frankie Edgar during round number two. 
for so many years, Frank Mir was one of these guys that was just a stalwart of the octagon, you know, through ups and downs, through all kinds of uh, personal, uh, you know, situations, ins and outs, the motorcycle wreck and all that, being the champion. He was there for 15 years for a UFC yeah, employee. He only had two non-UFC fights. He's, he started out in the UFC in his early 20s, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe even like, you know, 19 or so. I think he was like 21 or 22 years old, uh, fought all the way back in the blood and guts era when Wes Sims stomped on his face and got disqualified. It's got to be a weird feeling for him now to turn around and like show up on fight night to a Bellator event, I would think. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't. maybe he doesn't even know exactly how weird a feeling it will be yet until he goes and does it. I, I, you know, there are some ways that Frank Mir could fuck around and lose to Fedor Emelianenko. Well, yeah, anybody could lose to Fedor, right? Like, uh, if Fedor reaches into his back pocket for one of those right hands and hits you with it. And you just happen to be standing there when he does. He's probably going to sleep, right. I do think. Uh, I also got to think that that's the one thing Frank Mir is really worried about here. And if that, that's it, then you ought to be able to find a way around it, especially against uh, the Fedor of today who still fights like it's 2006. And you can just do that, and that will be a, a recipe for every problem that ails you. We've seen in the, in the very recent past that doesn't really work for him as well anymore. Frank Mir probably going to try to use the, the big man stuff, suffocate him against the cage, don't stand out there and let him throw those murder balls at your head. If Frank Mir gets past this one, does he rocket to the top of your list of favorites to finish it just by virtue of being an actual heavyweight? Well, I think if you're Frank Mir, you got to think about it that way, right? Because the winner of this fight gets Chael Sonnen, right? Chael Sonnen beat Rampage. I didn't just imagine that. Right? No, that, he, happened? He, that happened. Okay, so he's advanced to the semifinals. Unless they, they go in there and mess around with the pairings, which I think they've said they won't do, but in sort of like a pride situation like maybe they would they would redo the pairings but the winner of this fight gets Chael Sonnen in the semifinals and if you're Frank Mir you got to like your chances there too right just because you are going to be so much bigger than than Chael Sonnen right and submissions are kind of Chael Sonnen's kryptonite well yeah and that his whole idea is going to be to go in there double leg you and stay on top of you and yeah you're gonna have a harder time doing that against a guy like Frank Mir I I wonder though you know, when you look at a fight like this, we can sit here and make fun of it a few days out all we want. I'm not making fun of it. I'm ready to go. Let's watch this thing. I'm going to be, I have to admit, legitimately excited by the time the, the opportunity to watch Frank Mir versus Fedor rolls around. Makes me flash back to the the question we received earlier from somebody who only became a shit-eating wild man sometimes after UFC 94. Is that baffling to them? If you were Probably, relatively but that's because <laughs> they didn't watch Frank Mir break Tim Sylvia's arm. They didn't okay. have to watch the excruciating replay of that thing, which was awesome. And see, I don't even know how I would go about explaining my like legitimate and ongoing interest in a fight like this one to to somebody like that. I don't know how to put it. Yeah, you kind of had to be there. You kind of had to be there. or And then you would appreciate being here now, which we all acknowledge is not quite as cool as then, but still something. Yeah. Boy, now, you know, now that we are really, we're getting into some bracketology here, heavy into some bracketology. Okay. In the Bellator heavyweight world. study of brackets for anybody out there. Uh, the, the one side of this bracket that started out with Matt Mitrione, Roy Nelson, Ryan Bader, and King Mo, uh, seems like pretty, pretty heavy on that side, right? Pretty, uh, but, you know, you got a lot of, you got some actual heavyweights and a lot of talent over on that side of the bracket, whereas the opposite side had Rampage Jackson, Chael Sonnen, Fedor Emelianenko, and Frank Mir. So your your bracketology conclusion is that Frank Mir has the easiest path to the 
I'm just saying, you can't see the brackets right now, but the right side of the bracket seems a little bit weighted to me. Are, we, are you accusing some malfeasance here? No, I'm just I'm just saying that's how it looks. Like now that I really look at the bracket, do we want one side of the bracket seems much more difficult than the other side? Also worth pointing out here, um, we're in late April. We're still trying to get through the opening round here. Well, if your Bellator isn't the kind of smart thing to do to sort of slow this baby down, <laughs> like you don't want to schedule a bunch of these heavyweight fights right in a row. You don't? You want everybody to have a good chance to get nice and rested up. You want them, you want them to have a good chance to generally watch a Michael Chandler event on CMT? <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're like your Matt Metrion, go cool your heels somewhere, man. Take a, take a vacation, get back in the cage, get, get in uh, good shape, and then come in here for the semifinals. What's your prediction here for this fight? It's a really hard to predict, isn't it? I mean, I'm going to say Frank Mir wins. I bet Frank Mir... I'm going to say Frank Mir pulls off a surprising first-round submission. I'm going to say Frank Mir drops Fedor Emelianenko with a punch, as we have seen happen in several fights uh, most recently, and then uh, follows him to the ground and hooks up some kind of choke. I say Frank Mir via decision as a fight slows to a crawl in rounds two and three. That is also very possible. All right, Ben, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here this week. Uh, ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Well, we mentioned earlier in the show uh, Eddie Alvarez showing up backstage at, at UFC Atlantic City. Wearing a pretty awesome Underground King t-shirt, yeah. BT Dubs. Yeah, uh, and also in like a 10-minute interview, and we had the video on MMA Junkie, and he's just kind of spitting fire in all directions and it was actually pretty awesome and then when people keep asking him about the you know dustin poirier saying that eddie alvarez is avoiding the rematch and eddie alvarez kind of makes the point like well yeah i will avoid a, a fight if i think there's a better opportunity somewhere else but i'm not like ducking anyone because i'm scared and if you say that then you obviously don't know shit about fighting uh because like look at my resume so and i wrote a little something about this but if you go and you look at eddie alvarez's resume let me just read you off the last 10 not cherry-picking anything. I'm just reading you the last 10 opponents Eddie Alvarez has faced. Okay. Justin Gaethje. Okay. Dustin Poirier. Okay. Conor McGregor. Rafael Dos Anjos. Anthony Pettis. Gilbert Melendez. Donald Cerrone. Michael Chandler. Patricky Ferrier. Shinya Aoki. That's pretty good. Pretty good uh, list of competition there. I'm just saying, don't come at Eddie Alvarez like that unless you've seen the list. Because Jesus fucking Christ, there's not an easy fight in there. I'm just saying. Are you saying you think that Eddie Alvarez may want to boost uh, Chris Jericho's WWE gimmick where he brings a clipboard and tells people that they're going to be next on the list? I, I could see it working. You look at that list and you think, man, the people who on that list who aren't either the man or close to the man now were either the man or close to the man at the time Eddie Alvarez fought them. Gee, that's just that's a that's years of hard work right there. Solid point. Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying I'm gonna need an official co-main event podcast uh, weigh-in here on a certain issue. You know that we are, I guess critics might say, overly obsessed with MMA nicknames. I've never heard that. Never heard that criticism. What I need to know is, as a podcast, where do we come down on the big pretty? Justin Willis goes out there and gets the unanimous decision victory in a heavyweight fight against Chase Sherman this past weekend. Okay. I need to know some things about it, though, because for one thing, he's not that big for a heavyweight. 
Six foot three, two hundred and sixty five pounds. Oh, okay, bigger than I thought. Uh, do you regard him as pretty? Yeah, yeah. I could see, like, you know, if uh, if Justin Willis uh get gets cleaned up for the for a, like a Saturday night out on the town, be a pretty man. Yeah, seems like uh, so. It's a sincere nickname. It's not an ironic nickname. I, I mean, pretty. I, I I would not be surprised to find out that Justin Willis considers himself to be quite pretty. I'm just wondering because I'm saying all conference San Jose State defensive lineman degree in sociology likes to go out there and just whip them bungalows around. If we can get into the big pretty, he might be on the list, the list of guys. I'm minor, minor guy at this point. I'm going to say right now, I'm into it. Just saying. Big pretty. We're into the big pretty. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, come check us out next week. We'll break down all the stuff that happens at this Bellator 198 card. I think that the UFC is off to like May 12th. Oh, how about that? So, uh, kick your heels up. Maybe ain't shit going on the next couple weeks. So you know what that, you know what that means? We will lean heavily on you, the listener, to, uh, send in some questions. Even more than we already do. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So can I, can I start calling myself like the, the moderately sized pretty? I mean, I, I guess. Average height pretty. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it, man. Get, get, try that out around the, uh, the hockey. Yeah, we'll see. Come back with, with-